I know that I have what it takes to flip this seat. From one race to another. My name is Annette Tadeo, and I'm running for Congress. Now, candidate for Congress, Annette Tadeo, joins us live. We've already been able to release four major endorsements. Well, when you ask me about the communists and socialists that are part of the local Democratic Party, then we can talk about who's a member of the Republican Party. Focus on the fringes and proud boys in local politics. Miami-Dade's GOP chair will join us. We're facing a situation where it's not just our schools. Deadline passed. Lawmakers pass on a special session on gun safety. We have to do something. The big stories of the week, all live on This Week in South Florida. Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg, and we begin with a big switch. Miami Democrat Annette Tadeo ended her campaign to be the Democratic candidate for Florida governor and jumped into the race for Congress, hoping to flip District 27, now held by first-term Congresswoman Maria Salazar. That Miami-Dade district is considered a toss-up. Redistricting may have helped Salazar just a bit, but Tadeo is battle-tested, experienced, and first though she has got to get through a primary opponent Miami City Commissioner Ken Russell also vying for that seat. Senator Annette Tadeo with us live this morning as a Democratic candidate for Congress and it is so good to see you this morning. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Annette good morning. Take us through your reasoning your decision making. You looked at the race here for governor with Nikki Free, Charlie Crist and you said look I just can't win this race. When did you say, okay, I'm going to run for Congress? Well, actually, uh, indeed, that is what happened. And of course, without being able to raise money for uh, 60 days in session and then two subsequent uh, special sessions, uh, it, the realization uh, came through uh, very clearly. And I will tell you, um, Rumors started that I was uh, getting a lot of calls, and when those rumors started, I actually was not <laughs> considering this. But what really got me is the number of people uh, that that were just from our community. I'm not talking about elected leaders. I'm talking about just regular constituents, people who just said, please jump in. We need you. We need to take the seat back. And I, that wasn't just Democrats. That was Republicans. Well, if I can, let me interrupt you. I beg your pardon. But explain to us, what were their, what are their issues with Congresswoman Salazar, and why do they think that you can do better? Well, actually, I will tell you that we, uh, this seat has always been a seat represented by someone that everybody um, uh, really um, likes and, and, and that works across the aisle, that is respected. I mean, this is Claude Pepper's seat, Dante Fassell's seat. This is the seat that Ileana yeah. Rosletti had for so many years. So Ileana Rosletman uh, held that seat for almost 30 years. Exactly. So the Republican. This, <laughs> absolutely. But this is a pivotal seat. And at a time of so much division in our country, uh, we need to have somebody that is going to represent the people, that is going to proudly represent us and work across the aisle to get things done for Floridians. That's not what we have right now. We have an extremist on the right uh, who is only voting against our community, whether it's about uh, the gas prices, whether it's about putting more uh, milk uh, for babies uh, on the shelves, all of the issues that really matter 
matter to our community. And then Uvalde happened as I was thinking and making this decision. And it really, I, I knew then that I, this is what I needed to do. So there is Maria Salazar, first-term congresswoman, who won that race from uh, Donna Shalala, who held the seat. She won the seat in 2020 in what was a Miami-Dade red wave. And why would you expect this midterm, Annette, to be different than that with, with all that's going on in the country? Look, absolutely. Uh, this will not be an easy race, and we know that. Uh, but look, I've, I've won twice in a seat that Trump carried by six points. So I know that it takes someone that uh, truly represents the people, whether they vote for you or not. And that's what I've been able to do. And we know that this is a seat we can win back in spite of the tough times. Again, because of the issues that we're dealing with, we don't have someone that's truly fighting for them or that, you know, even votes for the funding that's coming down here, but then stands for pictures and pretends like she was a part of bringing this funding down here. So that is just not being uh, direct with your voters, just like she did when she ran for uh, the campaign in every commercial. She said she wasn't going to take a salary. She was going to help small businesses. Well, I can tell you as a small business owner, not only has she not done that, but I know uh, that business owners need someone that's going to be direct with them, that's going to be uh, upfront with them, and that's actually going to fight for them. So let me, in, in, we're not here to defend or, or, um, or anything for anybody. However, uh, Congresswoman Salazar isn't here to defend herself. Um, and maybe the two of you will be here for a debate at some point, which would be great. But I, I've been on the trail with her, and I do know that she does, she is supported by many people who appreciate the way she votes. I just want to lay that out there. Um, so yeah. you, you are running for you were running for governor, you were running to be the boss. And right now, as a state senator, you're a member of a collective. And I know in Tallahassee, it's been very frustrating in many ways for the Democrats as part of that collective. And now you're in a race where you'll be running as part of a collective again. So what, what lessons do you take with you in that? Look, I think that um, my history in the Florida Senate, when I just said goodbye to, uh, to the Florida Senate, uh, it was uh, quite striking to see so many of my fellow senators, not just Democrat, but so many across the aisle in leadership stand up and talk about the respect I had earned and the work we had done together to truly stand up for the community. And I think that is, that is what we're, we're, we don't have right now in this seat, what we don't have right now at a time when we have failed our kids. I mean, look at the vote just this week on the gun issues. I mean, this is a time to do something, not to play partisan politics and pretend like everything's well, going to be okay. If I can, Senator, on that subject, uh, this week when the House voted on the gun safety bills, in fact, uh, Representative Salazar voted to raise the age to buy a rifle or a shotgun from 18 to 21. You wouldn't disagree with that, would you? No, but I do disagree with the fact that then she voted no on the entire package. She voted no on red flag laws and all the other uh, parts of that entire package that was sent to the Senate. And frankly, that is uh, exactly what I'm talking about. We need someone that's going to fight and make sure that our kids are safe. Look, I have experienced myself just this 
year where we have to, had as a mom to stay up all night with my daughter trying to decide whether she should go to school the next day because there's been a real threat at her school right here in Miami-Dade. Kids should go to school to learn, not uh, to worry about whether a shooter is going to come in. This is completely unacceptable, and we need leaders that are going to work together to try to get things done. You know, it, that's such an interesting conversation that we've been having every week because of what's happening literally every day right now. And, and what is going on in Congress and in the Senate is predicated largely on Florida's gun law and what Florida was able to do post Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High, uh, sort of as a national model. And, and that is looking at more about school safety and mental health and behavior than gun control. Could you, could you get behind that? Um, yes, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I've been a sponsor of expanding Medicaid, which is one way that we can get the resources we need to ensure that people can have mental health. So I'm glad that they're talking about mental health. But the fact of the matter is we know that there are many things we can do. Look, banning assault weapons, for example, is something that we have a record because we used to have it. And we have a record of what happened during those years where there were you were not allowed to buy an assault weapon. Look, I'm a daughter of a fighter pilot who served in the Air Force. He taught me how to fire a gun. He taught me how to respect guns, but he also taught me and let me know that weapons of war only belong in wars. I mean, think about the fact that some of these kids in Uvalde were actually decapitated like that doctor mm -hmm. uh, testified in front of Congress. This is outrageous and it should not be happening. All right, State Senator Annette Tadeo, candidate for Congress. Hold on just a minute. We've got more questions for you. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back on This Week in South Florida. State Senator Annette Tabeo, a Congress a candidate for Congress in the 27th District. Uh, Senator Tadeo, let me ask you something about uh, Representative Salazar's temperament, her uh, somewhat occasionally erratic behavior. She, if I may say, uh, I mean, she's an old friend of mine. I've known her for years. But she has a tendency to sometimes kind of pop off. She was asked by a reporter a couple of months ago, do you support a no-fly zone in Ukraine? And she said she did. Then she went on Tucker Carlson, and he pretty much uh, went on to take her apart about that. She tried to defend herself. I mean, do you think that in terms of temperament that uh, she is a good fit for Congress, good fit for this district? Uh, no, I don't. Obviously, I don't. And I will tell you, that's what I was referring to about the seat. Uh, we've had some giants, again, respected across the aisle, working together for the good of the community. Um, and uh, when Donna Shalala, who is supporting my campaign, uh, was the one who replaced Ileana Rosletten, and I know that we knew uh, that someone of the stature and, and the ability to really uh, represent us proudly uh, we knew that that was uh, indeed what we were going to get. 
And to have someone with this kind of behavior uh, even saying that uh, we should, uh, in essence, have World War III and bomb Russia, uh, things that are just very concerning. And, and, and frankly, as South Floridians, we worry a lot about, we pay a lot more attention in South Florida uh, to politics than, than most other congressional districts. And that's what I mean by this district being so important. Look, even, even something uh, like Israel being such an important issue for this district and for our country. Yeah, well, uh, that is important for Ms. Salazar, too. I mean, she is a strong I, supporter I, of the U.S. relationship with Israel. Absolutely. And but I will tell you that um, the, the amount of passion behind the support has not been there. And the embarrassment with comments such as the one you brought up is what I mean by the fact that we need someone that's truly going to be representative. Look, we don't have to agree with every single vote that every single elected official that represents us makes. But you can still know that they're there for service, for serving us. And that's what I've done in the Florida Senate uh, in a way that again is to get things done to truly be that voice that people need in our community uh, when we need a fighter more than ever like I have said this is about the future of our kids this is about making sure that we have somebody that's going to represent us proudly and not embarrass us and I want to talk to you about socialism and the word socialist and we first noticed that become a talking point for GOP candidates, a derogatory label applied to Democrats, I would say about 2018 in that election. And it has been used loudly almost at every gathering. It's going to be tough with your background personally to label you as a socialist, but are you ready? To how do you, how will you address that? Well, uh, definitely. They've tried that with me as well. 2017, the special election, you know, no Democrat had ever flipped a seat from red to blue in a special election in Florida history. And we did that in 2017. And that was the attack. It was socialist, communist and terrorist sympathizer. It was truly uh, appalling. But we fought back with my personal story. So they know that it doesn't work on me. My father was kidnapped by the FARC, a terrorist group, Marxist terrorist group, uh, who was funded by the Cuban regime. So indeed, they can try it all they want. We're going to fight back. But look, also, there is the fact that I am actually still a small business owner. I still meet a payroll every two weeks after 30 years. I mean, this is essential. We are a very entrepreneurial community. And to when you don't, when you don't have anything else to run on, that's what they do. They attack us with ridiculous attacks, but we must fight back. And you know I will. Yeah. Um, uh, Annette, uh, to say the obvious, uh there are so many problems within the American economy right now. Wall Street is just, you know, collapsing. Uh, inflation is 9%. Gas is topping $5 a gallon. Food is just increased exponentially. And Joe Biden's approval rating is about 38%. I mean, to go back to the point that uh, Glenna made earlier, this is not exactly the greatest time for a Democrat to be running for Congress. How do you counter all that? Well, first of all, uh, let me say that for me, um, it, when it comes to being a voice and making sure that our kids have a bright future, uh, there's uh, never a bad time. 
you must stand up. My dad always told me, when the cost is just, don't stand on the sidelines. Get in there and fight for what you believe. Uh, but I will say, yes, indeed, this is not a good uh, time for Democrats. But what we have right now is someone that actually voted against lowering the prices of insulin, against putting more milk on the shelves, against all of the programs and all of the votes with regarding uh, the gas. And what you have is a record of uh, what I did. Look, we have a gas tax that's going to go away for one month in October, one month before an election. Am I for taking that away to try to help people? Yes. But what I did is I brought out on the floor and the information of the fact that this was being used for campaign reasons. This is wrong. People need help now, not playing politics. And now the emails have come out that the uh, governor's office actually pushed for one month before the election for obvious reasons. Wow. And that is what's wrong. I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, or independent. People need help now. We are the the most expensive city in the country. So Miami stopped on New York and LA. That's unacceptable. So all of those things sound like great issues for a debate that we hope to host right here between you and Congresswoman Maria Salazar. She has been in our program. Can we get your commitment right here on the air? 100%. I mean, <laughs> you like how we be, do that, huh? <laughs> that will be one hot debate, and we look forward to it. Annette Tadeo, great speaking with you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, up next, a controversy over Proud Boys as members of the Miami-Dade County GOP Executive Committee. The local Republican Party chair, Renee Garcia, is with us live next. Twenty million people watched the House Investigative Committee on the January 6th iteration hold its first public hearing on the attack on the Capitol. The hearing documented the critical role played by far-right groups like the Proud Boys trying to stop the peaceful transfer of power. This week, the New York Times documented Proud Boys' intentions to rise to power in local politics and named several former or current members who do serve on the Miami-Dade Republican Executive Committee. Renee Garcia is the Miami-Dade Republican Party chair, a county commissioner right now, and a former state senator and friend of the show. Renee Garcia, great to have you aboard this morning. <laughs> Renee, Good we're morning, glad, guys. How are you? We, we are so glad to welcome you to the show and to talk about, you know, the, I think, somewhat extraordinary article, front page article in the New York Times the other day, uh, which says that about six or seven current or former Proud Boys are members of the Miami-Dade County GOP Executive Committee, the group that you run. And they're apparently there with your approval or at least with your knowledge, are they? Michael, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. And Glenna, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, and the reality is that the headline that the New York Times uh, posted uh, on the front page is completely a lie. They how, how, so? It, how so? They said that the Miami-Dade GOP is, grabbed, is gripped by the the, uh, the Proud Boys, and that's completely a false statement. It's, not, it's just completely a lie. Right now, when we look at the Miami-Dade GOP, we have the most diverse group, the most diverse GOP in, in the state, and mainly the most diverse group in, in the nation. Right now, we look at when we when we look at the fact, when we look at that article, right now, yes, I'll tell you, I think there's out of the five 
I would say that there's two voting members and there's three alternates that were elected uh, to the Miami-Dade GOP, but that is not reflective of the principles of the Miami-Dade GOP, who we stand for inclusion, who we stand for having a diverse ideas. And we are laser focused on making sure that we get uh, Republicans elected at the local levels. And that's what we've been doing. And to paint me, and to paint the good, the men and women of the Miami-Dade GOP as racist, that's completely false and it's a lie. And this is what the Democrats have been doing to try to target now the most diverse Republican Party in the nation, maybe, as a group of racists. That's because they know that they're losing in the realm of public opinion, and then now they want to target on this on, on the Miami-Dade GOP, which we 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 as as a group are one that's inclusive of, of, of uh, all different minorities and I continue to do that as we move forward. And almost as a continuation of our conversation with Annette Tadeo just a segment ago that the, the, the labels and the smears kind of go both ways nationally and that's just kind of one of the illnesses our, our country is going through right now. Renee, let me ask you about a quote in that New York Times article. First, I want to ask you if this was quoted properly. The New York Times has you saying that your job as GOP chair is to protect everyone's First Amendment rights. Did, did they quote you properly on that? Yes, it, it was in the context as GOP chair. As a context of GOP chair, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a defender of, of the First Amendment rights. I'm the defender of that. And even how wrong they may be, I, I, I still believe in that. But when we have individuals that are, um, when we have individuals that come into this GOP and try to disrupt, then we will have a process in place. If anyone has been convicted of any crime, if anyone has been convicted of anything against this country or against the GOP, then we have a process in place to get members out. Oh. But my focus has always been in ensuring right now that that the, the national narrative is not painted and making sure that those hard met working men and women who are members of this GOP, who are out there to protect our families, who are out there who are concerned about the hyperinflation that we're seeing right now, who are concerned about the gas prices, who are stifling are are the, the who are stifling the middle class and the ones that are hurting the most that's what we're we're in, we're in line for uh, the members of this let me stay, just stay with me for this kind of line of line of thinking here so so you are firmly behind free speech and protecting everyone's diverse free speech rights in the G, as GOP chair so hate speech is free speech it is and is to be protected but but ha hate actions, actions of hate are not protected. So my, que my question to you is, with what you've seen this week, especially in the unfolding, <clears throat> the opening session of the January 6th special uh, committee, does that reframe your thinking towards some of the Proud Boy members or, or anybody in any way? Listen, Glenn, everyone will have to answer in a court of law to their actions. That the time will come when they will have to answer them. I, as one, you know my position very well. You've known me for many years, and the positions that I've taken in Tallahassee, defending the voice, being the voice for the voiceless. That's what I have done in this career, in my career as a legislator. I have made sure that individuals with disabilities are taken care of. We have made sure that that we we negotiated the these Marjorie Storman Act. Yeah. That we negotiated the bill. We had a diverse uh, inclusion of you know our 
the red flag laws, we made sure that we um, protected our schools by hardening our schools and so forth. And now that that's a model legislation is being looked at at, at uh, in, in Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah. So Renee, me let me jump mm -hmm. in and simply say I've, I've known you for many, many years. You know, when you were in the legislature and now as a member of the Miami-Dade Commission, I'll be glad to stipulate from my point of view, you have a long history as a reasonable politician willing to speak to people on both sides of the aisle. That's not really the issue. I mean, the issue is Proud Boys, we all saw this week, are haters. And they were involved in a violent attempt to overthrow the government of this country. And according to J.C. Plamas and others, the New York Times, there are at least six or seven current or former Proud Boys active on the GOP executive committee. Are you okay with that? Michael, I'm not okay with it. What, what I'm not okay with is with the narrative that's been painted. The narrative that's been painted is that the Miami-Dade GOP is a home for the Proud Boys. The reality is, is that you're trying to say that there's a takeover by the Proud Boys and the Miami-Dade GOP. Michael, right, like I said earlier, we've been able to maybe identify uh, two voting members. I hardly think that that is a takeover of, of by the Proud Boys. You know what I do say, what I do look, look at and I see what the national media is doing, they're trying to paint the most diverse group of Republicans in the state of Florida and maybe of the nation as a group of racists and that com is completely unacceptable. These are men and women who took all their time to make sure that they, they have a voice in, in the Republican Party. We are, as a chairman of the Republican Party, I've gone out and I've reached out across multiple different sectors of minority groups to make sure that they come into the Republican Party to know that they have a voice with us so we can continue to have this conversation and make this party more reflective of what reflective as to what Miami-Dade County looks like. We're a community of very diverse ideas, diverse points of views, diverse, diverse people, and that's what the Miami-Dade GOP is doing. I think the problem that we have here and what I'm starting to see here is that I think the Democrats are looking to the Miami-Dade GOP and to see all of our successes. We won with Vince Lago and Coral Gables. We, we won with Steve Lozner in, in, in uh, Homestead. We won with Jerry in, uh, in Sunny Isles. And we're, we're winning local elections, and I think they're, they're scrambling, saying, what is going on? You know, we're laser-focused and making sure that we elect our local Republicans to ensure that, that the people's voices are heard and to make sure that we bring attention to the issues that really matter to people right now. The, the hyperinflation that's happening in our country is hurting the middle class. The increasing, the, the gas price is going up to $5. That's hurting the middle class. So then we get the New York Times that writes this story. And I know it's not Patty Mosaic. I know it's the headliners that write this story. And then we have people like put that headline and they're gripped by the, by the GOP. And that's completely a lie. We have Fernando Armandi who comes up and says, factual statement, the Proud Boys has a home in the Miami-Dade GOP. That is completely a lie. Okay. And when J.C. Plano, come, give me a minute, when J.C. Plano comes up and says that we, they need to be thrown out, there's a process that needs to be eliminated. I am not the person to throw, to eliminate anyone because he knows very well, he took advantage of being a, a GOP for many years and then he leaves uh, and, and he knows the rules of the GOP. The moment that someone is convicted, the moment that there's any any uh, conviction against against any member of the GOP, then we'll start the process for the elimination of that. So but no, you, I will not tolerate. I will not tolerate hate speech. I will not tolerate hate speech understood. in the GOP, and I will not tolerate anyone to attack us as being a group of racists. Uh, and you are lashing out against labeling, and we are with you against labeling 100%. Really quickly, because I, we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you about something that's 
Senator Rubio said to Michael um, this week when he asked uh, pretty much the questions that he's asking you today. Um, Senator Rubio's answer when he says about the Proud Boys on the committee, when you ask me about communists and socialists as part of the local Democratic Party, we can talk about it. And I wanted to get your take on do you think that there are communists and socialists in the local Democratic Party? Lena, uh, when we look at the idea, when I ran for chairman of the Miami-Dade GOP, you know, the problem that we're having right now across the country is that we really don't see any leadership coming up from the Democratic Party or from the Republican Party at the national level. The change is going to come from the local level. And it's people like you and I that have to have these conversations at the local level to make sure that we can start bringing people together and start ensuring that we put our country back on track. Right now, we have a failed failed administration that we see the problems that are happening in this country, and we have to start taking leadership at the local level. Right. At the same time, I'll tell you, there's no difference with the Democratic Party right now. Yes, I do believe that they have the fringe elements of the Democratic Party uh, embedded in both uh, at the local, state, and federal levels. We will try to pursue that, and if, in fact, there are socialists or communists, as the Michael, senator we, alleged, then we will, we will put it on local 10 news. Rene Garcia, we thank you for your time. And Always we'll great lot, to speak with you. We'll a lot much more next time you come. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Thanks so Renee. much. All right, up next, a South Florida lawmaker suddenly pulls out. Representative Michael Grieco ends his bid for state senate. His reasons why are really an insight into the ugly side of politics. Grieco is with us next. It was to be one of the marquee state Senate races. Outspoken Miami Beach Democrat state rep Michael Grigo versus first-term Miami Republican Ileana Garcia. Oh, what a race it <laughs> promised to be. Drama, conflict, controversy, and vastly different points of view. But this week, Michael Grigo announced he was dropping out of that state Senate race, and he's not going to run for another term in the state House, which was basically almost guaranteed. So let's talk about it with State Representative Grieco, who represents District 113, mainly Miami Beach. There he is, Mike Grieco. Mike, good afternoon. Welcome. Glad to see you. Hello. Good to see you both, as always. All right. So if you will, give us your reasons. I mean, you're well-known, elected to the Miami Beach City Commission, you know, uh, effective in the State House of Representatives, and I thought a really viable candidate for the State Senate. Why are you dropping out of the race? Oh, God. The, the list is long, but the, the primary reason, and, you know, most people, when they decide not to run or they say they're going to withdraw from the race or something, they're like, oh, I want to, you know, go back and spend time with the family, which is obviously true. But the most important part is, is money. The, um, you know, we were doing a great job fundraising, but it was very clear because there, there's the fundraising on paper and then there's the fundraising from the, the kind of party uh part party part of it from both sides of the aisle and listen they are deep pocketed and you know we were looking at about a 10 million to a potentially a two million dollar race which would be uh you know comparable to walking into a boxing ring and not being able to throw any punches or defend wait, yourself wait for a, about Mike, five rounds you, you are saying Ileana garcia who barely won the senate race you know was going to get 10 million dollars together to run for re-election I didn't say she was going to do it, uh, but said the, the Senate majority will. You know, there was a huge commitment from the incoming Senate president and the Senate president 
uh, elect after her uh, to make sure that they keep her. Um, they have unlimited funds. So it's not about Senator Garcia's ability to fundraise because I've actually outraised her since I filed in November, but the machine is different and the party has the ability to spend unlimited funds. And then on our side, you know, the, the Democrat side, we're having a tough time raising money um, institutionally. You know, outside of Florida, we're looking at, and it's widely reported that, you know, outside groups have, uh, I don't want to say abandoned Florida, but they've definitely pulled back. But, you know, different organizations that have historically written huge checks to the Senate victory team, they're not doing it in this cycle or they're they're directing their priorities elsewhere. Plus, listen, we've we've got, you know, Lauren Book just had a commercial on your show. You know, she's, she's the, the minority leader and a dear friend, and she's facing uh, a primary, which, uh, you know, requires her focus and time. And there's just a lot of balls in the air, and they also have to keep two uh, incumbents. So I've always been the priority for them, but the the pizza's gotten smaller. So in turn, the size of the the size of the slice that I was getting was going to be smaller. And it was just, you know, that's part of it. And then the other part of it is, listen, the, we we polled independent voters in the district, and this is something that everybody should be listening to. Uh, in, in, no party affiliation voters, without hearing about who the candidate is, uh, in Miami-Dade County, at least in this district, they're looking at voting Republican at a clip of two to one before we even talk about candidates and issues and everything else involved. That's a very high bar to meet when you're going to get outfunded essentially five to one. Okay, so in the last two minutes, you've just talked about seven different things. So I'm going to pick one and let's delve into it a little bit. For, first of all, um, Congresswoman Frederica Wilson also had a, an ad on our program today. She's got a primary. So all of a sudden, Democrats have primaries and the money needs to flow to your point. It's just not there. So the mon does the money come from messaging, which might be poor messaging, or does the messaging come from the money? Where's the chicken and the egg, and what are Democrats doing wrong that we're watching so many Democrats say they're struggling, switching races, powwowing with party leaders to figure out where they're best? What, what, is, what comes first? Well, I mean, listen, Senator Garcia, former Senator Garcia was, was on right before me. Um, you know, Renee's a dear friend, and he's talking about inflation and gas prices. And Look, the, the Democrats are in charge in, in D.C., and they're going to get tagged with that, whether it's fair or not. You know, candidly, I, I think that there are meetings in the White House at least once a week, and I feel like they sit around and they go, hey, what thing can we say to make it more difficult for South Florida Democrats? Let's have a really bad policy on Venezuela, or let's say something about Cuba, which makes it even more difficult for a straight, white, non-Hispanic male like myself to run in a district like this. And, you know, Democrats are more interested, candidly, in being right than sometimes winning elections. And it takes us half an hour and a Ouija board to explain why we're right, as opposed to the other side will just say, let's go Brandon, and then they go to the monster truck rally, and then they win elections. It's, we've got to learn how to, you know, the don't say gay bill is a perfect example of, we were able to effectively message with three syllables. But outside of that, it seems like it takes us way too long to win arguments, and in turn, it affects it affects the electorate. Folks yeah. are very busy with their lives, and they have very short attention spans. And you know, it's just the way of the world in 2022. Yeah, that, that and we is need to all, get better at that is getting all, in there. That is all. We we grant you that is true. Let me go back to your comment about your good friend Lauren Book, who is the Senate Minority Leader. If she did not have a primary opponent, 
she would be spending a lot of her time raising money for people like you. So are you holding Barbara Sharif, her primary opponent, you know, accountable in part for the fact that you're not going to get help from Lauren Book? Well, transactionally, yes, but I would never tell somebody that they can or cannot run for office. That's 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 somebody's independent decision. And, you know, I, I can't fault anybody for doing that. But on a grander scale, it hurts Democrats and it hurts the general conversation. I mean, listen, I'm not the only moderate Democrat or moderate representative that's not going back in November. Several of us on both sides of the aisle have decided to not run for either a third or fourth term. Um, you've got folks like Vance Lupus, uh, Renee Placencia, Nick Duran, myself, you know, we're, we've decided not to not to go back to, to the House. And then you've got moderate Republicans like Jim Mooney down in, in the Keys, who's a great member, and he's drawing a far right opponent uh, for a primary. And it's just it, it's it's really tough for folks in the middle that are operating between the 40 and the 40. It's very tough for us to get things done when most of the attention is going to the far left or the far far right. Nobody's writing articles or talking about, you know, the boring things that the adults are doing in the middle to try to improve people's lives. Actually, we we actually write those articles about people in the middle. I know my, you do, my, but that's my you guys are unicorns though. Now that you're not going to be an elected official when we resurrect our round table after COVID, we want you, you on. you've got to be on it. That'll be yeah. That'll be fine. Oh, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Listen, <laughs> any, anything. I, I feel kind of, you know, hampered by being in office. Maybe when I'm not, I'll, I'll give you. Well, I'll, I'll give you, you. An even raw Thanks version. so much. There you okay, go. Mike Grieco, thank you so much. We appreciate <laughs> thank it. Thank you. All right. Next, the day before a series of March for Our Lives rallies, Florida lawmaker, lawmakers rejected a call for a special session on gun safety. The man behind that failed plan, Representative Joe Geller, is live with us next. In South Florida and around the country this weekend, big crowds took part in rallies for the March for Our Lives, demanding tougher gun safety laws. Congress, the House this week, passed a bill that toughens those laws, but it is stymied in the Senate. Also this week, the deadline came and went for a special session to take up gun safety in Florida, an attempt by a Ventura Democrat, Representative Joe Geller, who got the initial support to take up a poll, but failed without Republican support. Hi, Joe. Joe Geller. Nice to see you today. Nice yeah. to see you back. So what, what exactly were you expecting? We don't often do segments on things that didn't happen, but what, what were you expecting? I honestly thought we would get some Republican support. Maybe that makes me naive, but this was such a modest proposal. All we were asking, we weren't talking about banning assault weapons, unlike what they said, we weren't talking about taking anybody's uh, uh, guns away from them. Just not true. What we were asking were the most modest of things. We were simply asking that we have stronger background checks that couldn't be evaded, that we have increased, expanded red flag laws that would let family members be involved and that we would limit magazine size only on rifles. It was the most moderate, modest of proposals. We crafted it in the hopes that at least some Republicans, even at least the ones who aren't running for reelection, would support it. Yeah. And we didn't get one single Republican right. vote. Well, you know, the numbers were not there for you. You needed 
60% of the members of the legislature to call for the special session. Just 19 Republicans even bothered to respond, and they all voted against it. So what, is, what does that tell you? What is the message? The really shocking thing is the people who didn't even bother to vote. How can you, facing this issue, listen, if you're hard on the other side, at least have the courage of your convictions to not even bother to cast a no vote, that's a slap in the face to every voter who just wants their, their family to be safe. I have to say, and I've been around politics a long time, I was shocked that so many people, so many Republicans didn't even vote. Yeah. That that was a, a message in itself, and I guess <clears throat> to get that message, we would have to ask the people who didn't vote. But but I just want to throw out there that this legislature, you and your colleagues, unanimously did pass another set of school safety laws. Um, and your colleague from Parkland, Christine Christine Hunchofsky, was here with us a few weeks ago, talking about. Um, expanding the or continuing the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission and attention to uh, family reunifications and much more attention and funding for mental health programs. And, and that you have to look at as a, as a win in this legislature. Well, certainly the mental health funding is greatly appreciated. Uh, and, you know, yes, we all support making our schools safer. I had bills to have law enforcement at schools years before Parkland. But the fact is, this is not about schools. This is a problem across our society. It's not just schools. That's obviously the most horrific, shocking thing. But we're talking about supermarkets and, and nightclubs and concert venues and hospitals and houses of worship, churches and synagogues. This is across society. Right. And we can't just say we're going to do something for schools, even though I support that. We yeah. need to do more. We need to act. We should point out that today is the sixth anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shootings where 49 people were murdered. A truly awful act. Uh, Joe Geller, after 2018, the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, you were one of the Democrats in the legislature who voted for the act that raised the gun, ra uh, gun age for buying a rifle in the state to 21 and other measures. Is that as far as Florida is going to go? I certainly hope not. Yes, I was proud to vote for that. It wasn't an easy vote. It included the red, red flag laws that my colleague, now Senator Lori Berman, was pushing, and a lot of good things, banning bump stocks. Uh, some of my colleagues at the time said, vote this down. We can do better. We'll have a special session. I think they were wrong. We did something. We did something that mattered, but we need to do more. We need to do something that matters now. We need to act. It's like every day, some other place in our society is turning out not to be safe. Please call your legislators, ask why they wouldn't even bother to vote. How can we do this? How can we not protect our fellow citizens? I hope we'll do so mirroring your call on the state level, on the national level, there, there seems to be now an appetite for looking at what people agree on. Because frankly, everyone's goal is the same, save lives. That, that is stipulated. Everybody's on the same page. It's just how to get there that differs. So, so look at those things. You're shaking your head. 
And thoughts and prayers are not enough. That's not a solution. Well, and when that's and prayers. It's not good enough. You have to act. You have to pass legislation. And I'm waiting to hear. I have to say, Glenna, this was written specifically to be consensus. This was written specifically to get things that the population, the American people, the people of Florida, overwhelmingly support background checks. Who's against that? Yeah. That doesn't. Joe, that, that, that is going to have to be the, the final word. We are out of time. Thank you. And thanks for your attempt to try to get Appreciate something it. done. All right. We'll be right back.